touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And Lauren, today I wanted to read a message that was sent to us via Twitter. Uh, Danny sent this to us and said, have you done an episode on e-paper? Well, Danny, we, we did an episode, uh, we being uh, Tech Stuff in general, way back. Yeah, back in 2008, Jonathan and Chris did an episode called How E-Books Work. Uh, if you want to listen to that probably very short episode, it published on <laughs> November 24th of that year. Yeah. Uh, but we figured that, you know, although the answer is technically yes, we have, we we thought that it was time for an update. Yeah, especially since uh, the one that Chris and I did, we really only covered one implementation and we were specifically looking at e-ink, which we'll talk about again in mm-hmm. this episode. But there turns out people didn't weren't satisfied with just one implementation for this e-paper idea. They decided to have a whole bunch of mind-bendingly complicated sciencey implementations that caused me to weep at my desk. Um, <laughs> the the poor the poor fellow with the English literature degree. Uh, but but I wanted to mention first of all, you know, what exactly is e-paper? Before we go into any of the implementations, why would you want an e-paper display? What is so special about this particular type of display? Well, everything electronic is better. Well, okay, one, it's electronic, so clearly better than any kind of regular paper. So wins over that. But uh, it's sometimes in scientific circles referred to as reflective. Yes. Electronic paper and reflective is kind of the key term there because um, many screens are backlit. Yes. Which causes which is awesome for various technologies of making you see stuff. Right. But is pretty energy inefficient. And also hard to see in really brightly lit areas. Right. right? So, for example, If we were to be watching some sort of amazing movie in a dark theater cave, we want something that's backlit, right? We want something that's projecting its own light or else you can't see anything. But if you're outside, say, at the beach. Or if you have a lamp on. Yeah, you've got maybe you are just uh, trying to read something simple. And and also you just maybe you find that backlit display gets your makes your eyes tired after a while. It it does lead to tired eyes. So you might want something where you're just putting light onto the device and then just reading based upon the light that's reflecting back to you. And that's what e-paper is all about. It's really trying to mimic what actual paper does all by itself. So if you have a piece of paper and you've written stuff on it and you're reading the stuff on that paper, newsflash, the paper is not sending light into your eyeballs. It's reflecting light from some other source back to you. Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. If it's e-paper and it is backlit, then I guess it could. Though, again, most e-paper, as we'll discuss, is not. Now, there, there's another advantage, like you said. The energy factor, right? If I'm using a backlit display, that means there has to be some sort of light source that's shining out at me. And that requires energy for that to continue. We don't have some magical way to just make light come out without using energy. But a lot of these e-paper displays have very energy efficient means of establishing some sort of image on the display and holding it there without having without to... needing to continue pouring energy into the system. Exactly. So you have the two benefits there, the ability to look at this display in really well lit areas and the fact that it's not sipping tons of energy. Uh, they also, depending upon the implementation, can be flexible. So flexible displays are a pretty 
cool idea for a lot of different uh, potential applications. A lot of them are kind of advertising related. Well, sure. But, you know, also the, the just the pure concept of being able to take your your ebook and roll it up and stick it in your backpack. Sure. Or or have like an e-paper display watch. I have an e-paper display watch, the Pebble, which right. I'm wearing right now. Has an e-paper yeah, he's pointing display. to it in case you guys couldn't see yeah. that via the radio. Right. It sometimes doesn't come across with the pointy pointy, <laughs> but it has an e-paper display. But you could also create an e-paper display watch that is very, very thin and flexible so that you could have it wrap around your whole wrist. And in fact, there are a few examples of that. A Japanese company made some really, really super cool ones that uh, I think was a limited run of 500. So they ended up being around 2,700 bucks Oof. a piece. Wow. But th- they look great. And and yes, and this is all leading towards your incredible dream of having the electronic gauntlets. Yes, I, I won't be happy until I have the the e bracer, where again I can have all the little things like my my uh, life force telling me how how much life force I have left. You know, in case I'm not aware of it <laughs> at, at the time. Right? right. Yeah. You know, because I, I I encounter some tough customers in my line of work and sometimes you know exactly how tough they are yeah and sometimes you you have to look at it and see like well let me let me guess how much of a beating can i take before I'm, I'm done but all that being said what where did this idea come from where where did we start really talking about e-ink and e-paper oh even though the the whole idea of this electronic display of a reflective electronic display hit the public consciousness just in the past decade or so due to the popularity of ebooks and e-readers right. and the Kindle, all of that kind of thing. Um, the technology has actually been in development since the 1970s. Some huh. researchers at Xerox began experimenting with what they called uh, Gyrocon. <laughs> it sounds, like a, sounds like a transformer. I love so much, right. Um, and these were little spheres of electrically charged plastic that were white on one side and black on the other and could rotate, hence the gyra oh, kind gotcha. of word there. Um, and they were suspended in oil between transparent electrodes. It could be used for signs, but they never really worked it out to be mini- miniaturized to the point of being really useful for something like a personal device. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was overlooked for a few decades until the 1990s when uh, MIT and then a Related Cambridge-based company called E-Ink Corp began developing their own version of these gyrating electronic ink capsules in 1997. Right. And, of course, the miniaturization, important for multiple purposes, right? Not just so that you can have it fit into a form factor like an e-book or a, a watch, watch. Yeah. but also just the idea of getting the right kind of resolution for up-close viewing. Like You don't need it to be as... as uh, uh, high resolution for like a, a sign outside, right? You need right. you need it to be legible outside, but it doesn't have to have really sharp edges. Yeah, and, you don't have to be able to get two inches away from it. And still. Right, right. Whereas with books, you know, you're getting pretty up close and personal and with a watch even more so. So obviously that was one of those things that need to be worked out. So how do they work today? Well, like I said at the very beginning, there are a lot of different implementations. Now, that should not come as a huge surprise because with with displays in general, there are lots of ways of having a display show you stuff. Uh, yeah, think about televisions. Yeah, tons. Like if we're talking just the flat screen type, you have plasma, you have LED, you have LCD. Then, of course, you have the good old cathode ray tube televisions of oh, our yeah. childhood. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I still own one of those. Do you? It's fancy. I, I think I have one in a garage somewhere and it's heavy. 
Um, but the <laughs> nice fancy, thing, I think I meant heavy. Yeah. yeah. The nice thing is that some of our old gaming consoles will still work with those because the ports match, right? Yep. Yeah. That's one of those things that you give up. You know, you start to see these these technologies no longer become compatible. That's I, I do still have a SNES. Yeah. So and you can't run that on a modern television without some some uh, sort Conversion. of uh, yeah converter. So let's talk about the different types of e-paper display technology. Uh, I think the most popular one on the market certainly right now is electrophoretic technology. That is correct. That is what e-ink uses, the right. one that you mentioned. And e-ink, I think, is the <laughs> is the most uh, well-known company that does this. This is the sort of technology you find in a lot of e-readers. Mm-hmm. And so this uses that electrical charge to push stuff around. So... The ink in an electrophoretic technology display uh, can be lots of different stuff, but the, typically you'll you'll find these little plastic beads that may be uh, dual colored, where you have white on one side and black on the other. Mm-hmm, like I mentioned before, or some that are black and some that are white. Right. You would just have two different sep- separate kinds of beads, and you would have them uh, oppositely charged. So. Let's say that the the white beads are uh, positively charged and the black beads are negatively charged. Now, the top layer, the screen layer, the, the part that we are looking at, our eyeballs are hitting that, mm-hmm. is clear. It's transparent. Otherwise, it wouldn't be very useful. <laughs> if you had a solid plastic e-reader that, that was opaque, it wouldn't do you any good. Not very much. Now, on the opposite side, the foundation of the device, that's the back pane. That's where everything is built on top of so let's say you have an electrode down over on the back pane. You've got one on the clear level as well. And you you remember you've got the, the white beads that have a positive charge and the black beads that have a negative charge. If you create a negative charge at the base, at the back pane, then that's going to repel all those black beads because like charges repel one another. Right. So all those black beads are going to rise to the top, to the clear electrode, the, the screen part. Which means if you're looking down at the e-reader, the screen just turns black, mm-hmm. right? The white uh, particles, the white beads, will all sink to the bottom because uh, they're positively charged. And positive and negative charges attract one another. So they're all at the bottom. Now, the nice thing is, once you've done that, it's set. It's going to be like that until you until change you the charge. Until you introduce another charge. Exactly. Right. So uh, it's it's fantastic because that means you no longer have to pour power into this device in order to have whatever it is you've established. If you were to swap the charges and suddenly make the uh, electrode at the base be a positively charged electrode, then it would repel all the white beads. They would rise to the top. All the black beads would come to the bottom and you would have a blank screen. That's what it would look like to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And by varying that across the entire surface of the back pane, then you can have these black beads. You can beads. develop patterns and words and pictures yeah, and whatever you want. Exactly. And uh, depending upon how small those beads are, you can have some pretty interesting, some pretty good resolution. Right. So it's not like, you know, it's not like there's only like 10 beads in here. No, there's <laughs> millions of the little things. Yes. So that's your basic uh, premise with electrophoretic technology, but they're not all uh, specifically in that implementation. E-ink is. That's the, the style of e-ink. Those, those beads are just 100 microns wide. Oof. So 100,000 can fit into one square inch of quote-unquote paper. Uh, so you're talking, like I said, millions of these things, depending upon the size of your display. Obviously, larger displays are going to need more beads in order to have that resolution. But another variation of this uses something called micro-cups. Micro-cups. Yeah. 
they're kind of what they sound like. They're little individually sealed cups of, uh, of, of stuff. You've got a bead in these and you also have, um, some, some dye in them. So the idea is that if you pull the bead to the top toward the, the screen side, you get a blank screen. When they're pulled down to the base of the little individual micro cups, the dye shows through and creates your color pattern. Yeah. So you can think of each micro cup as an individual pixel in this okay. entire screen. Mm-hmm. And by pulling various beads down, you create what are the words and the patterns and the pictures and all that kind of stuff. Uh, same basic principle, though. You're just using electric charge to move something around. In this case, it's just one bead uh, instead of different pairs of beads. So uh, very interesting. These, again, are the most popular, I would say, approaches. The micro cups approach is supposedly better for flexible displays. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. just more effective. It's easier to implement than the, the you know, massive number of beads approach. Uh, but that if you know that was essentially the the version we covered in the first tech stuff episode back in 2008 so everything from here on out is new <laughs> and scary <laughs> and possibly going to make me uh fall over in attempts to pronounce some of these words so uh i'm just just prepare yourselves folks you can you can do it jonathan i have right. faith in you cholesteric liquid crystal display technology let's hit it all right so liquid crystals those are pretty awesome. Yeah. They can behave kind of like a liquid and kind of like a solid. So solids, uh, their molecular structure is really stable, right? They're in a set pattern. They don't move around. They they maintain their orientation in respect to each other. Liquid is different. Those molecules in a liquid can be all willy-nilly and move around, and they don't have to uh, maintain their respective orientations. So this is easy to imagine if you're thinking about just the way water moves. Mm-hmm. All those little molecules are moving all over the place inside that uh, amount of water. Whereas if you're looking at a solid table, that table's not moving. It's not, at least not in respect to, you know, one part of the table's not moving in respect to another part of the table. Unless you've got a really weird table. So liquid crystals can behave like either solids or liquids depending upon the situation. Uh, now, col- Cholesteric liquid crystals have stable phases. Very important. You want it to be able to set into a particular uh, orientation and maintain it. But um, because if it didn't, then you couldn't use it for something like creating pictures and words. Oh, right. It wouldn't be stable. It would just keep changing. And you you might have a really cool piece of wall art, uh, but it wouldn't be useful. It would not as a book. No. So, uh, or maybe only once very, very infrequently. Yes, right. Kind of in a, a million monkeys in a room with typewriters kind of way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so liquid crystals in these displays, they form a helical structure, also known as a chiral structure. And depending upon their orientation, they either reflect light or they absorb light. So by running a current through a display with these crystals, you can orient them in such a way that they form shapes like words and pictures. And like electrophoretic displays, these are, the term is bistable. I think that we forgot to mention that yeah. up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, bistable is what it means when something uh, can stick a certain way without having to put an electric, in, until you put an electric charge back through it. Right. So in other words, once you have it set, it's good to go. This is the same thing, like, wh- I'm sure you've heard the argument about people who, before we were allowed to uh, have electronic devices on at takeoff and landing, and people would say, you need to turn off your e-reader devices. Uh, there were folks who were saying, you know, this isn't 
It's, it's not, not consuming power unless I turn the page. Yeah. Because it, it's not producing any kind of radiation at all unless I push the button. The, right. Yeah. It's yeah, exactly. As long as the Wi-Fi is not on, then yeah. it's not doing anything. Also, mine doesn't even have an off switch. Yeah, that's true. Some I was of, like, all all you're doing by making me put it away is denying me the pleasure of reading. Right. Yeah, you're you're making me focus on one of the more stressful moments of flight, and uh, and that's not doing anyone any good. No. Um. Yeah. So, like you were saying, both of those implementations are uh, the kind where you don't constantly sip power. You only do it whenever you need to change whatever the uh the various orientations are, whether it's the beads in the electrophoretic, mm-hmm. or it's the liquid crystals in the uh, cholesteric. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to electro-wedding. All right. This is a problem that elderly robots have. <laughs> it's a serious issue. I'm glad I'm not the only person who thought immediately yeah, well, of something else. I think it all depends oh, on your no. sense of humor. Oh, Jonathan. I'm a terrible person. Yes. Electro-wedding technology has nothing to do with that. And for all those people who out there who hate my sense of humor, I'm sorry. But I am 12. So yeah. I actually sorry, not sorry, I think is what he means. Yeah. I mean, yes, that's who I am. Uh, but electro wedding technology, actually, it's a really interesting approach. Again, now we're using electric electricity to change the shape of a confined water slash oil interface. OK. So, you know, water and oil, they don't mix. We've got sayings about it. Uh, and, and you can... <laughs> Try it at home. You can put some water and some oil in a glass together and you'll see they do not mix together. And if you were to try and mix them together, they would separate. So uh, that's important. But when you have no voltage applied to this particular type of display, the oil forms a film between the water and an electrode, the the screen, which mm-hmm. is hydrophobic. Oh, OK. Now, hydrophobic just means that water won't stick to it. Right. It's like. If you've ever had any kind of Rain-X or other film that you put on your windshield, uh, your car's windshield, so that when you go out in the rain, it just beads up and rolls off, kind of Terminator 1000 style. <laughs> that is that is hydrophobic. That is yes. hydrophobic. Fancy yeah. word for a simple concept. Yep. So this uh, this way of creating the oil and on top of this this water level, that's what creates a colored pixel. And applying a voltage makes the water push that oil aside, which creates a transparent pixel. So if the oil's on top, you get something, you can get a, you get a color, a color, right? Whatever the color of the back pane is actually. So if you had a blue back pane, you would just see blue. Uh, and then if you were to switch the water in place, it would be a lighter color of blue because it would be transparent more than opaque. Okay. The way you would get a blank screen is if you had a white back plate. You know, I think I've been saying back pane and I think it might be because my chair is Really weird, but no, it's back plate. Um, but yeah, if the back plate has a white surface, you get that transparency that's seen as a blank screen. And, uh, the neat thing about this is that it's, it, it responds faster than the other versions we've talked about. So the ones we talked about previously, they're great for things like books. They're not so great for video. I mean, you, you can find some of these, uh, e-paper displays that use electrophoretic technology. That yeah, will, your your refresh rate has to be pretty high yeah, to interpret it as as video. video. You might be able to get something that plays like a simple game of Snake or uh, something along those lines, but it tends to be, you know, pretty slow in response. Slow enough for us to detect. Whereas uh, the electro wedding technology can move fast enough where we're not able to, to notice the change 
that way, you know, it's not like there's a, a lag or delay that's noticeable to us. So it moves fast enough where we could use it to show video. And it also requires less energy than your typical LCD display. So it's still one of those that is suitable for that kind of thing without, you know, breaking the bank on your electric bill. Uh, it's not by stable, however, because you do have to continuously apply electricity to retain an image. So if you were to remove the electric charge, the water would move out of the way again. The oil would come to the surface and you would just have uh, a, you know, a, bl- a black screen or whatever right. color the oil happened to be and the and the back plate had happened to be. So. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, the only company I could find that's actually working on this technology is called Liquivista. And it was a company that was spun off uh, by Philips. Philips huh. had been doing the research into yeah. this. And they kind of said, well, it's not really going to work for us, but we will spin off, you know, kind of sell off this this research division uh, because there's there's potential for that particular uh, technology. Okay. And that was not a, not a pun potential with electricity and are, are you sure it wasn't? Well, a pun? it wasn't I intended. Mean, so it was a pun. I guess so. It was an unintentional pun. Those are the best kind. <laughs> Those are basically the only kind that I make, and I'm a little bit embarrassed every time. Mm. So, how does this electro wetting differentiate itself from electrofluidic? That's a good question that I did not understand at first. I had to read a few different uh, pieces to really understand electrofluidic technology. Well, it uses. Liquid, as you would imagine, with fluidic, that does say that there's some sort of fluid involved. But instead, it's using a liquid pigment and a polymer layer that has micro cavities in it. So let's say that you are looking down at the screen. That screen actually has lots and lots of teeny tiny pinprick holes, like microscopic level. Mm -hmm. So just when you look at it, it just looks like a blank screen. Doesn't You you don't actually notice the pinpricks. You can't pick them out with your eye. No, no, you can't. And so uh, when you apply an electric charge, it because of the way uh, microfluid motion happens in the presence of an electric field, the pigment will start to go through those micro cavities and fill out some of the space and become pixels within the display. Ah, OK. So, so it sounds at first when you think about it, it sounds like you're looking down and you just see liquid bubbling up out of a hole and slowly filling up the screen. That's not exactly what it is. Each of these little micro cavities is self-contained. Mm-hmm. So it, each of those tiny little holes is allowing enough oil, uh, oil to come up or pigment to come up to combine with the other ones in that immediate area to make the edge of a letter E, for example. Uh, sure, sure. I didn't look into this one personally, but I, I know that the way that some materials interact with fluids involves a process called adsorption, which basically means that electrically speaking, they're kind of sticking to the edges of it. And I suspect that that is what is going on here. From what I understand, yes, we're getting, by the way, into levels of physics that I never explored in college or in in high school. This this is a heavy physics day for us. Yeah. Yeah. Microfluidic uh, physics is is complicated stuff. Uh, And and we should also mention that this particular implementation is something that some companies are looking into, but it's not necessarily something you're going to find in a lot of uh, products right now, whether you're talking consumer or commercial. Uh, But it is an interesting approach and prototypes have all been in black and white as far as I can tell, but the manufacturers say that they would be able to make color versions as well so that you could have uh, based upon the uh, level of voltage applied, different colors of pigment come up. And so you could have a full color image on your e-reader 
which is one of those things that people have wondered about for a while. I mean, you can you can get that if you have a backlit one. That's pretty easy. Uh, right? Certainly. Or if you have independent multiple layers of different colors of monochrome. Right. Yeah, pigment. You, you could do it that way. And of course, these layers are so thin that to us, it would all appear as if it's on the same plane. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. But technically, if you were able to get shrink really down to the, the micro size, you could tell they were on separate kind of floors, if you think about it, if you think of it or or layers in a sandwich, since we're talking about electrodes being kind of cake. like the bread. Or cake. The cake is not a lie in this case. A mini layered cake. As the cake it turns is out. only hypothetical. That's true. Which, you know, that's it's not the best kind of cake, but it's better than the cake being a lie. <laughs> um, now, those displays, the the in particular, the uh, these electrofluidic displays have a high reflectivity, uh, higher, in fact, than the other ones we've talked about. And potentially, according again to manufacturers, that reflectivity could reach the point where it's the same as paper. So while we talk about e-readers and e-paper having high reflectivity, so it's like a piece of paper, most of them don't come close to having the same reflectivity as an actual piece of paper. Mm -hmm. They're just better than, say, a backlit display. From what I understand, this particular implementation sounds like it would be the closest we would get to having, you know, a, a one-to-one correlation between paper and e-paper as far as reflectivity is concerned. So that means it would have the best visibility in bright light. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we'll talk more about reflectivity a little bit later. We certainly will. Then we have electrochromic technology. This one's also really cool. I had no clue how many different versions of, of e-paper there really were. Uh, yeah, so, so far we've been talking about um, two basic uh, sides of a coin of e-paper, uh, a vertical orientation yep. of, of bringing something to or away from a surface in order to make color, or a horizontal orientation of pushing stuff around inside the surface in yep. order to make it go. This is uh, this is a chemical reaction. Yeah, electrochemical reaction. So some materials will change color as they undergo reduction or oxidation. So you can think of it this in a, in a sense, like iron as it rusts turns red, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the way we... Reddish brown. Reddish yeah. brown, yeah. So that's one way of looking at this. But these particular materials which have names that are far too complex and too long for me to even pronounce. So I didn't even bother to put them into the notes. True facts, folks. I just at that point, I was like, "Mm, nope. Nope. (laughs) But the color change in this case is completely reversible for these particular types of materials when they, they undergo oxidization. You can just control it through applying an electrical charge. So if you send an electrical charge to it, it will change color and you send a different electrical charge to it. It changes back. Also, the change in color is stable until another charge is applied. So it's, again, a bi-stable display. Mm-hmm. So you, you uh, turn the page. It would send the, the charge out to the, uh, the right parts of the screen to either have it uh, switch or if it didn't need to switch, there'd be no charge sent there. So like, if there's a particular pixel that needs to retain its color, it just won't get a charge. Mm. Then everything else will get the charge, swap the way it needs to swap. And then you're good until you need to change the page again. And this kind of technology is is also being implemented in other ways, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, you can you can buy stuff that has this technology in it right now. So if you've ever heard about smart windows, windows that can actually change their tint depending upon uh, your demands. So, uh, yeah, at your will, not like a not like sunglasses that have the color change film right. on them. Yeah, it's not that not that transition lens kind mm-hmm. of technology, uh, which is more of a. It's automatic. Yeah. yeah. That's something where you you know you're not even 
part of the equation. No, I'm talking about, let's say that you've got a dimmer switch for your window where you can actually change the opacity of your window um, dynamically. You can make it darker or lighter as you will. So that sort of technology tends to have this approach, this implementation in it, where you change the electric charge by flipping a switch or turning a dimmer, and then it ends up either uh, making it darker or lighter, depending upon whatever it is you told it to do. So pretty cool stuff. Now, you might think that we're through. We no. are far from through. Here we go. Inter- we will never be through. Interferometric modulator displays. And I know the longer I go, the more it sounds I'm making stuff up. <laughs> I promise I'm not making stuff up. Uh, these displays create colors using interference of reflected light. Oh, okay. So they're not even using any kind of beads or anything like that. They're specifically reflecting specific types of light to your eyeballs so that you can see whatever it is that it's you're supposed to see. And so so this is going to be a series of of mirrors inside the the screen that are going to be reflecting light in different ways. Yeah, essentially that's what we're talking about. It's a reflective surface, you might as well call it a mirror because that's the that's the easiest way of explaining it. But imagine that you have a mirror that can only reflect a certain hue of light. So one particular wavelength. Yeah. So let's say it's blue and when you look in that mirror, everything you, you, that you see, even though it's a reflection of what what is in front of you, is uh, going to be blue. The rest of the wavelengths are being absorbed, and that blue stuff is being shot back out. Yeah. Sure. So you can uh, see yourself uh, if you were a Smurf, and everything in 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 your world was Smurfy, because it would all be blue. But uh, I don't think I want that world. Probably not. But so you, you could have a monochromatic display, which would mean that all the mirrors would reflect a specific color. And that would be the only color that would show up whenever you were uh, uh, sending a charge through. Or you could have a uh, multicolor display, which would have multiple little mirrors for each pixel. You would call them sub-pixels. So to, to create any individual color, you might have just uh, certain types of the mirrors showing or maybe pairs of the mirrors because it'd be kind of like a, a color display, you know, where you have that... Uh, the, the, either the red, green, blue or the cyan, magenta, you know, that, that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would have all those little subpixels to make that multicolor display and you only would need to, the, to change the orientation of the mirrors and use power for that. So again, once you turn to page, uh, once the mirrors are in the right orientation, Alignment. yeah, it, then all it's doing is just reflecting light to you. So you just have light hitting that screen. It reflects back. And it's fine. When you turn the page, then it changes the orientation of those mirrors, whether it's pointing different ones at you so you can see different colors or they just turn so that it's hitting the back back plate and you're getting a blank page that way. Whatever that happens to be, uh, that's when it would consume power. So, again, very much a bistable approach. Uh, Really interesting stuff. Uh, Obviously, wouldn't be good for video. You're talking about changing the orientation of all these reflective surfaces each time you turn the page, it's probably not the fastest implementation. I would not imagine so. Uh, Okay, so we've talked about all of this great stuff. I have to imagine that our dear magical friend nanotechnology has to be involved in one of these. It butts its head into things sooner or later. Yes, nanotech comes in the form of photonic crystal technology. This is fairly recent as far as the different implementations go. 
And photonic crystals are nanostructures that are arranged in a regular pattern. So imagine that you've got like a block of these things and uh, they're all each one is made up of a individual little sphere. And when you change the, the shape of that that block of spheres, like you stretch it out or you compress it down or you just move it in some way, uh, the color changes. So if you are able to, say, uh, implant these nanostructures into a polymer, a stretchable polymer. And then when you apply electricity to said polymer, the polymer changes shape, which by its very nature, because you have these nanostructures implanted in the polymer, it means the shape of that that polymer pattern is going to change. Okay. That changes the way light reflects off of it. It creates the pictures it that you want to see. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you think of it, like if you were to imagine maybe a, a sheet of rubber, and you have a bunch of marbles that are in, that are like embedded in that sheet of rubber and you pull the rubber tight so that you see that the marbles start to move away from each other that's kind of what we're talking about but on the nanoscale and remember a nanometer is 1 billionth of a meter we're talking super super small here so it's not something you would ever be able to observe not even with a light microscope depending upon the size of these these particular structures right so teeny tiny stuff. And um, it does have some current drawbacks, which is that one, if you are looking at trying to create a color display, the contrast between colors isn't very strong. OK, so your pictures don't tend to be very clear very or sharp. vibrant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are, uh, from what I understand, top men working on it right now. Uh, top men uh and anything involving nanotechnology also is usually on the expensive end yes yeah stuff and it's it's definitely you know one of those things where you've got uh several research groups looking into the feasibility of this approach and whether or not it makes more sense i mean we have all these different options right now it can be that maybe in 20 years time most of these fade away as we start to see which ones make the most sense whether economically or, you know, whichever one gives the, the best experience, mm-hmm. that sort of thing is really going to determine which of these stick around. And there may be some of these that are really good for very specific impl- implementations oh, and sure. not everything else. Mm-hmm. All right. Our last one on the list is one that I am incredibly fascinated by. It's called READ or Reverse Emulsion Electrophoretic Display Technology. Yeah, yeah this is neat, neat stuff. OK, you got two different types of liquid. In one display, in this uh-huh. case. You've got a base liquid that is non-polarized. Right. So uh, in other words... normal old material. Yeah, you're not going to have it react to an mm-hmm. electric charge. Right. Then you have a polarized dyed liquid. So imagine that you've got like a, a giant um, beaker filled with clear liquid. We'll just say it's 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 some sort of like water-like stuff. It's, it's perfectly neutral, so it's not going to react to electricity. Um but then you put in it this bluish dye and it's got a polarized element to it and you mix it up really good so that maybe there's a light bluish tinge to the water. But otherwise, you can't really you can't really tell that. Yeah. But then when you apply an electric charge, you can gather all that blue dye into a specific spot and it will suddenly look like it's coalescing into almost a solid object within this beaker clear liquid clear, right yeah so if you were to do that in a display format where you have a very controlled environment so it's not again it's not like a a, a a dish that just has all this liquid in it it's in very specific locations 
you could actually create the the electric charge so that the die coalesces exactly where you want it to and it becomes an electronic piece of paper. This this is the one that sounds like T1000 to me. Yeah, I, I think of this as as if you were able to write on a sheet of paper and then see all the words suddenly uh, glom up into a, a ball of ink in the center of the page and then become new words across the page. It's a very sort of Terry Gilliam-esque kind of image in my head. Uh, that's sort of what this thing can do, except, of course, it's doing it electronically. It's not physically altering the the actual ink. Uh, no. And this one is really extra super new. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those that, again, is uh, j- there's actually a company that's just working on trying to develop the ink. It's not even going to be developing a display for this ink. So we are we are at least a couple of years away from seeing this working in any kind of implementation apart from maybe some really early prototypes. But it's just it's it's cool to see all the different things we can do with just playing with electricity and creating the same sort of effect through very different implementations. I, I just I, I think it's fascinating that people can take the the same basic uh, uh, concept. Yeah. yeah, the the end goal is the same. And ultimately, the thing that makes everything change electricity is the same. But everything in between those two points is totally different. So different. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me, especially because it's such a materials heavy based technology. Yeah. And, you know, as we get better materials and as our manufacturing processes improve, we're going to see huge improvements in this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, You know, a, a lot of what is going to be involved is coming up with stuff that has uh, really non-reflective films, you know, screens. Right. And very, very reflective materials creating the pixels inside those screens. Right. So what you're saying is that the the surface isn't reflective because otherwise you would just be it would be like holding a mirror and right. shining light in your eyes. Right. But that the the ink itself, whatever you want to call that ink, whether it's little solid particles or fluid, whatever it is, that would need to be the super reflective stuff. So right. that you have a nice sharp contrast. Yes. The, the less reflective the material of the film and the more reflective the material of the pixels, the sharper the image overall will be. Um, luckily, this kind of idea applies to other fields as well that are also very lucrative. Uh, for example, in solar panels. Yes. Solar panels are super, super effective when a lot of light gets through the panel's surface. Right. Perhaps, obviously. Yeah. If the light is reflecting off the the whatever protective layer is on the top of the panel, then you're losing that light. You uh-huh. cannot capture that and, and convert it to electricity. Uh, right. So people are working on creating materials that have very low reflection. We talked over on our other show, Forward Thinking, um, with Joe, we, we did an episode on biomimicry yep. and it featured some of the anti-reflective stuff that people are doing based on moth size, yeah. um, which happened to be covered in this nanostructure that kind of just funnels photons straight through um, that also happened to be called corneal nipple displays, which I think is my favorite science term of the year. Yeah, I I can't I can't say it without giggling. They're they're little they're the well I mean it's it's for a per, they're little conical shapes so yeah. I mean it makes perfect I mean, sense. You know you call it call it as you see it. <laughs> um, that that episode by the way if you would like to listen to it is uh, called Biomimetics and it published on June twentieth of twenty fourteen. Yeah, if you're not listening to Forward Thinking, you if you're a fan of tech stuff, you'd be a fan of Forward Thinking. Yes, Trust us. absolutely. And in in addition to helping out with the contrast 
of these screens, uh, it, getting these light efficiencies worked out would also help allow for multicolor e-paper. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, one of those ways to do it involves having multiple transparent layers of different colors. Right. And so. So you would have like a red layer, a green layer, a blue layer, a black layer. And mm-hmm. then through combining those, depending upon what the commands were from the electrodes, you would be able to create a full color display. Uh, again, if we're if we're talking about electrophoretic, then it would be uh, it would be great for full color illustrations for things like science textbooks, that kind of thing, or comic books, or comic books. That's another great example. Yeah, if you are getting comic books on an e-reader, then you probably want to have full color. Oh, sure. Because you can't really appreciate the artwork if it if it's if it's not a black and white comic. You're not able to fully appreciate all the work that went into generating it. Oh, sure. Also, just on a industrial level, I mean, in order to bring e-paper into the same realm as regular old printed paper, you know, the, the entire color industry is, is a really huge part of all of that. Sure. Advertisers, you know, uh, Coke wants to use Coca-Cola red. Yeah. Ninja Turtles want to use Ninja Turtle green. Like, yep. like everyone has very specific copyrighted colors that go along with their stuff. And until mm-hmm. you allow people to make honestly advertisements um, the same way that they would on printed paper. It's never going to take its place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I know that we've talked in the past on tech stuff about the the idea of the paperless office. But yeah, until you're able to get into something like that, where you're able to get really good color matching, it just isn't going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, Lauren, but I, I've I, every every year it seems like I I accrue more paper, not less. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's interesting to talk about this technology. I mean, obviously, it's something that is uh, becoming more and more popular. I mean, the the Kindle. I love has, my Kindle. Yeah, I love I I love all my Kindles. Um, <laughs> I actually, need, I need to get a you new. You don't play favorites. I need to get a new one, in fact, because uh, my. I busted my old one. Oh no! Ah, uh, you know, yeah. I'm. Uh, what can I say? You read George R. R. Martin, you're bound to throw a book against the wall, <laughs> and the book happens to be electronic. You pay for it. So anyway, yeah. These are these. It's a really cool technology. It's really one of those that was cutting edge, and no one had heard about it just a few years ago, really. And now everyone knows about it, but not everyone knows what makes it tick. Yeah. Why do you have this thing where the only time it sips power is when you turn a page? And I think it's really interesting to explore the technology that makes that possible. So, Danny, I want to thank you for sending in that suggestion. Yeah. And if any of you have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, then you can write us an email, techstuff at howstuffworks.com. It is actually working now. It is. We can completely confirm that it is, in fact, working. Uh, you can also send it, like Danny did, via Twitter. Uh, Tech Stuff HSW is our handle. It's the same handle we also use on Facebook and Tumblr. So yep. feel free to get in touch with us through any of those means. We read every single message. We really appreciate it, you guys. Yes. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs>